Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Well, today we're starting a new series that I've titled Quite Not Okay. Not Quite Okay, I I mean. And uh, in this series, we want to address um, mental health. I don't know if you knew this. But during the fall season, during the months of October, November, December, and even January are the hardest months for people who struggle with some kind of mental health. And we want to take a couple of weeks. We're going to take two Sundays, and then we're going to take three Tuesdays to talk about mental health. And why are we talking about mental health? Because here's what I want you to hear out, please. If you're struggling with mental health, I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that you have a church family, that you have a church that cares about you and wants to help you. And we are not professionals in that area, but we do have the Lord and we do have one another. And that goes a long way. Amen. So today we're starting a series called Not Quite Find, and uh, we're going to be talking about mental health. And let me tell you why mental health is important. And even if you don't struggle with stress, depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD, or any of those things, let me tell you why why your mental health is important. Your mental health is important because it affects every area of your life. It affects the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. It affects how you handle stress, how you relate with others, how you deal with depression. It affects the choices you make. It affects how you view difficulties. It affects how you relate, how you go about feeling other people yourself, and also how you view and relate with God. So that's why we're going to talk about it. And and, and in this series, I want to talk about grief. I want to talk about grieving. Because I've learned that as Christians, we don't know how to do it. And especially as Hispanics, we don't know how to do it. And I understand not everybody here is Hispanic, but the majority of us are. And we are not good at grieving. Our culture does not make room for grieving. And we're going we're gonna to talk. Can we grieve as Christians? Are we allowed to grieve as Christians? And if we're allowed... How do we do it in a good way? Well, look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.13. If you have your outlines, would you pull it out? Um, Look at what it says. This is going to be our key verse. Look at what he says. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So that you will not, what? Grieve like people who have died. No hope. Hear me out. Hope and grief can coexist. Pain and faith can coexist. Difficulties and peace can coexist. 
And that's what we're going to learn about in this series. Are you with me? Let's pray and I'll start preaching. Is that all right? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning that you give us. Lord, as we go into your word, we want to be encouraged. We want to be formed. But more than anything, we want to be transformed. We don't want to just get new information. We want a new way to live, Lord. So Holy Spirit, make the word of God alive in us. The word of God is already alive, but you make it alive in us. Help us to understand it. Help us to receive it and help us to let it give fruit in our lives. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room or watching online that is dealing with deep pain, with deep anguish, that is grieving or maybe is refusing to grieve. I pray that in our time together, you would bring relief, you would bring hope, but most importantly, that your presence would be made manifested. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And everyone else says, amen. Amen. You know, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for 10 years now of Dayspring Church. And before that, I was a youth pastor since the age of 16. And you would think that as a pastor, as a servant of God, that somehow God's hand of protection would be upon my life that difficult things, painful things wouldn't really touch my life. And while there is a sense of truth to that, I do believe that the hand of God is upon my life and that there's a special protection. The truth is that difficult, painful things do touch my life. My wife and I, after we had Maisley, about a year and eight months later, we decided we were going to have our second baby. And Lorena got pregnant and About a month and a half later, if I recall correctly, she had a miscarriage. And I remember how much that broke us. It scared us. We were even scared to try again. About six years ago, on a good Friday, my youngest brother got married that Friday morning. And the wedding ended at about 2, 3 o'clock. And when it ended, we got in a car We drove to my house. My dad drove to his. And then we met up and we drove down to Mexico where I left him and he's been there ever since. Six years where he has not seen Luca or Avery be born, where he has not seen them walk or talk. My parents just celebrated 20 years of being married and they were apart. I remember that as a child, I didn't have the blessing of being born in this amazing country. But I was born in the second best country, and that's Mexico. (laughs) I say that respectfully to those that are not Mexican. And I recall that when my dad told us, I was about six years old when he told us that we were going to come to America. I didn't want to come because I loved my family. I loved that sense a family that we had. Every weekend, we got together at my grandma's house, and I had so many cousins and uncles and aunts and just family. It was wonderful. I didn't didn't want to leave that behind. And I remember that in coming, I knew that I might never get to see that again. And throughout my whole life, my biggest, most constant dream that I had 
was of me being able to go back to Mexico, which I couldn't because of my legal situation. And I yearned and I longed to be able to get together once again with my family, with my cousins at my grandma's house. Well, the day came where my grandpa died and we weren't able to go. And a few years later, my grandma died and we weren't able to go. And I remember that I was driving on the 210 freeway by myself and I was crying. I was even concerned that I might crash and I was crying because not only was I, was I missing the fact that I would never get to see my grandma again, but I knew that I also had lost that opportunity of those wonderful family moments that we had because of her. Truth is, loss, pain, and grief touch all of us. They touch you in different ways. They affect you in different ways. And as we talk about grief, I want to define it for us so that we understand it. And grief is a feeling of deep anguish caused by loss. Grief is a deep sadness, is a deep hurt that is ignited, that is caused by loss. In fact, here's something that I would want you to remember. You can fill this out in your outlines. Loss brings pain and pain brings grief. Loss brings pain and pain brings grief. One of the hardest things, young people, that you are going to have to face at one time or another is loss in life. We all experience loss. We experience the loss of loved ones to death. We experience the loss of friends because they move. We, we experience the loss of mates, of spouses because of divorce. We experience the loss of health due to some kind of illness that has no treatment. We experience the loss of our dream jobs, of our careers. We experience the loss of our dreams falling apart. We experience the loss of trust in our relationships. Relationships. There is th these and many other things cause pain and pain brings grief. And I want you to know today what scripture says about grief. I want us to look at what the Bible tells us about grief. Because I think it's important for us to know how to relate, to know how to view, to know how to coexist when grief touches our lives. And I want us to look because the Bible actually has a lot to say about grief. Next week, we're going to talk about how to process, how to handle, how to walk in grief. But today, what I want to do today is I want us to look at three very important things that the Bible tells us about grief. What are those things? Well, the first thing, and you can fill this out in your outline, the first truth that scripture tells us about grief is that grief is a natural part of life. Grief is a natural part of life. Look at what the beautiful passage from Ecclesiastes tells us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 4, look at what it says. It says, for everything there is a what? a season and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to what? Cry. 
to cry and a time to laugh. A time to what? To grieve and a time to dance. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since Adam and Eve fell, beauty and brokenness has coexisted. Hope and loss has been a reality. And the Bible tells us that grief is a natural part of life. And see, that's important because a lot of people treat grief as an unnatural thing that happens to them, as something to be avoided, as something to be denied. And many people refuse to accept their grief. They suppress their grief. And how is it that they do it? They do it in work. They do it through entertainment. They do it through risky behavior by going to some kind of substance, whether it is weed or alcohol or something else. They do it by denying it. They do it by hiding it. And people suppress it and deny it because they don't see it as a natural part of life. And you would think that was bad enough. But there's others, there's many Christians that are convinced that as believers, we do not have permission to grieve. After all, how could we grieve when Jesus has resurrected from the grave? How could we grieve when the greatest victory has been obtained and has been shared with you and with me? Let me tell you something. Some people wrongly believe that those that cry the less are the most spiritual, and that is simply not true. It is not true. As Christians, we are allowed to grieve. And let me tell you why it's important for us to see grief as a natural part of life, as something that we deal with and will deal with in this life. And that is because if you don't see it as a natural part of life and you suppress it, you deny it, or you don't walk properly through it, you will not only suppress negative feelings, but you will also suppress positive feelings. Because grief, grief is a sign of how significant what you lost was to you. When you lose a loved one and you grieve, grief is a measure of the love that you had for that individual. When you grieve over the bad news of some kind of illness that now changes your lifestyle, you grieve because that, is a, that, that, is, uh, uh, that, that proves of how important you value your life and your existence. And when we suppress grief, we don't only suppress the negative feelings, but we also suppress the positive feelings. And if you don't allow yourself to grieve the loss of a loved one, you may not know how to love those that are alive. So grief is a natural part of life. So when pain and loss come to your life, hear me out. Grieve, grieve. It is okay to grieve. In fact, I've titled today's sermon something that I would want us to normalize in our church. And here's what I want you to hear me say. I want you to understand that it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay. Now, you know when that won't be true and that won't be possible? Well, we're in heaven. But while we're on this earth, we will experience grief because it is a natural part of life and it is okay to not be okay. Amen. 
So listen, next time you are going through some hard time and somebody says, hey, how you doing? Don't lie anymore. Don't lie. Don't say, oh, I'm in victory, brother. If you're in victory, go for it. But if you're not, say, hey, I'm not okay, but I'm hanging in there. Because it is okay to not be okay. Amen. In fact, we've already read two verses. First Thessalonians, and we also read Ecclesiastes, where we're told, where we're told that we, we are not told not to grieve, but we are told that we can grieve and how to grieve. Now, let me show you a few other verses to convince you that it is okay to grieve, that the Bible teaches that grieving is a natural part of life. Are you, are you with me? Number one, here's the first one. If you've been part of a life group, Awesome. This is going to be familiar to you. If you have not been part of a life group, you have missed out. This semester has been amazing because we've talked about pain and suffering. And not only why is there pain and suffering, but why do innocent people suffer? And we've looked at Job. And if you recall the story of Job, Job lost it all, right? His, his possessions, his kids, his reputation, he lost it all. And look at what we're told about Job in chapter 2, verse 8. Look at what it says. It says, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the what? The ashes. Right, Satan comes to God and he says, and God says to Satan, hey, have you noticed my servant Job? There's nobody like him. He's righteous and he's godly. And what does Satan say? He says, yeah, well, he serves you and he does all that because you've given him so much, but take all that away and he's gonna curse you. So God says, all right, go for it. So Satan takes all his possessions away, right? And Job doesn't curse God. So there's another meeting between God and Satan. And this time he says, hey, did you notice him? Did you see? And what does Satan say? He says, well, skin for skin, right? He says, Job didn't curse you because as long as he's alive, that's what really matters. And Satan says, but touch, touch his hell, touch his life, and you'll see how he'll curse you. So God says, all right. He says, go ahead and touch his hell. Just don't kill him. And what does Satan do? He comes and he causes this boils that covers the whole body of Job. And that's where we read that verse, that he took a piece of pottery to scrape his skin. But here's what I want you to notice. It says that Job sat among the ashes. Two things. In that culture, it was traditional for people to tear their clothes as a sign of mourning, but they would also sit among the ashes. And as I was studying for this, uh, I read a really interesting illustrate, uh, uh, interesting comment. And uh, quite a few commentaries believe that in the cities, outside the cities in those times, they, that's where they would burn the trash. They had a place designated for burning the trash. They didn't have the, the, the trash pickup system that you and I have where we take out our trash cans and a big truck comes and we don't see it anymore. They had to literally take it out and burn it. It's kind of like what they still do in Mexico. When we go visit my dad in Mexico, you see uh, uh, these smoke coming up from different places and it's people burning their trash. And, and there was this big pile of trash that was constantly burning and many commentators believe that when somebody grieved they would go out to these places they would go out of the city because such was their pain that they would sit among the trash and the and the ashes of the trash would cover them now here's what I want you to notice it says that Job sat that means 
that he abide that he stayed in. He mourned. Now, why is that important? Because if you read the book of Job, the Bible tells us that Job did not sin in all he said and did. If grieving was wrong, God would have corrected Job by doing that. Now, if that's not enough, let me give you another proof. One of the Beatitudes, right? Our Lord Jesus. Look at what he said in Matthew 5, 4. He says, God blesses those people who what? Who grieve. They will find comfort. God cannot bless what is wrong. And grieving is not a sin. And that is why God blesses those who what? Who grieve. Now, pain is caused by sin. But grieving, the pain is not a sin. And the Bible tells us that when we grieve and when we grieve God's way, that he will bless us. If that wasn't enough, look at what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. Look at what Ephesians 4.30 says right there in your outlines. And it says, and do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not offend. Do not hurt the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of what? Of redemption. If grieving was a sin, if grieving was wrong, the Holy Spirit wouldn't do it. The Holy Spirit wouldn't feel it. So the first thing the Bible teaches us is that grieving is a natural part of life. And here's, here's what you got to know, Spring. There is not one right way to grieve. Hear me out. Oh, you know, I lost a loved one too and I got over it in a month. Well, that was you. People are different. We are different and we grieve in different ways. There's certain values, there's certain approaches, there's certain things that we need to have in mind as we grieve, but we all grieve differently. One person may grieve the loss of an infant differently from somebody else who also loses an infant. And we got to stop. We got to stop putting these expectations that, that there is a right, that there is a one right way to grieve and that you got to get over it soon. It's a natural part of life. It's an unfortunate natural part of life, but it is a part of life. The second thing that the Bible teaches us, and here's where the, new, the good news begin, is that God knows our grief. Not only is grief a natural part of life, but God knows our grief. Look at what Psalm 56 verse 8 says. Speaking of God, he says, you keep track of what? See, some of you think God only keeps track of all your sins, but he also keeps track of all your sorrows. He says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle, you have recorded each one in your book. See, God knows everything, right? God knows our fears. God knows our mistakes. God knows our weaknesses. God knows our longings. God knows our desires. God knows our decisions. But here's what you need to know as well. God knows your hurts. God knows when you experience loss. God knows when you experience pain. And here's what you need to know. He doesn't know it just intellectually or from afar. He knows it, knows it. One of the most wonderful truths that the Bible teaches is that God became like one of us. 
And that's what we celebrate at, Christ, at Christmas, right? That the Word became flesh. That Jesus, who was God, became like one of us, lived the way we lived, experienced what we experienced, and not only did he know grief, he carried our grief. Can I prove that to you? Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verses 3, 4, and 5. Now, here's what you need to know. If I remember correctly, Manolo, uh, Steve, or Tony, correct me. I believe it was about 5,000 to 7,000 years before Jesus was born when Isaiah wrote these words. So Jesus hadn't even been born. This was a prophecy. This was a description of the kind of man, the kind of savior that Jesus was going to be. And look at what Isaiah writes. He said, speaking about Jesus, he says the following. He says, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and what? Acquainted with grief. In other words, he knew grief really well. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened with Joseph, but it is traditionally believed that he must have passed away. We don't know how old Jesus was, but he likely was after the period of being a teenager because the last time we see Joseph is when Jesus gets lost in the temple. And after that, we don't see Joseph anymore. So we can assume that Joseph died. So Jesus knew what it was like to lose a dad. And Isaiah says, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we steamed him not. In other words, we loved him not. We appreciated him not. But look at verse four. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Not only did he experience it, but he carried ours too. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are what? We are healed. Jesus is well acquainted with our grief. And not in this general sort of way, but in an intimate with us sort of way. Jesus knows grief, but he also knows our grief. He walked among us. He walked and live the life that you and I lived. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? The Bible tells us that Lazarus, the friend whom Jesus loved, was sick. And we're not talking that he had a man cough, like he, had, he was sick, okay? And his sister sent for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Come heal him. Jesus delays. And what happens with Lazarus? He dies. Jesus finally decides that it's time to go to Bethany to go see about Lazarus. And as he's on his way, the first sister meets him halfway and she's mourning, she's weeping. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed, but that passage tells us that they had hired people who would weep. And the first sister comes and complains to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. And when we're grieving, some of us have those kind of questions, right? We're going to talk about that next week. 
The second sister also complains. But, but I don't want to focus on their complaint. Here's what I want you, what I want to focus on. If you recall the story, Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus had been dead for how many days? Four. And do you recall what Jesus did? Yeah, he brought him back to life. But before he brought him back to life, what did Jesus do? He whacked. And I'm not talking about Jesus just shed a tear. Some of you, when your mother-in-law dies, you won't even shed a tear. Because you don't know how to grieve. So today, Jesus is going to set you free. And you're going to love your mother-in-law right now that she's alive. But you remember Jesus, what? He wept. Question, question, question. Stay with me. Stay with me. Why would Jesus weep if Jesus knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus? Why? Why would Jesus cry? Why would Jesus grieve if he knew that he was moments away from saying Lazarus come out and Lazarus was going to come out? You know why he wept? Because he felt grief. And he wept to give you and me permission and to let us know, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I know how it feels in the morning. I know the thoughts you have. I know the things that you experience. I know. And the Bible tells us that God knows. He knows our grief. Not only is grief a natural part of life, but God knows our grief. Now, here's the third thing the Bible tells us. And these are the best news of them all. The third thing the Bible tells us is that grief isn't forever. Grief is not forever. See, some grief stays with us for a season. Some grief lives with us for the rest of our life. Some grief we overcome only to see it come back again later in life in some way or in some manner. Some grief morphs into some kind of other grief in our existence. And let me tell you, even the worst grief that stays with us for the rest of our life is not forever. Because there is an event that guarantees that all loss, all pain, all grief will be done with. And that event is the resurrection. On that day, when we are resurrected and we are with the Lord, the way of grief, the way of loss, the way of pain that we experience here will be done with. Will be done with. Look at what the book of Revelations chapter 21 Verses 1, 3, and 4 tells us. It gives us a glimpse of the beauty that is to come. And look at what it says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And then verse 3 tells us, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among who? His people, he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And look at verse four. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are what? They are gone forever. 
Amen. That's the good news. That, yeah, go ahead and give the Lord a round of applause. See, now you know, now you know why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. And Paul doesn't mean that we are not to grieve, but that our grieving is different because we know how our story ends. Because we know that although we have to experience pain, loss, and grief while we are on this earth, the day is coming when our Father will wipe every tear, every pain, every suffering, every difficulty from our lives. And that's the hope that we have. You know, I long for my dad to be back in this country. But even if for some odd reason, which I am not ready to accept yet, the Lord doesn't bring him back, I look forward to the day when we will spend eternity in heaven. And that's the hope that I have. I'll never see my grandma here again, but I am confident that if she put her trust in Jesus, she will be in heaven to receive me. And we, we, the resurrection changes everything for you and me. Now, that's not a guarantee that we won't suffer here. That's not a guarantee that our loved ones will live forever on this earth, but it is a guarantee that the day is coming for you and for me when every tear, every hurt, every pain will be wiped away from our eyes. So as difficult, as dark, as your pain and your grief feels now, here's what you got to hear. Here's what you need to know. It is not forever. It is not forever. And I know you would say, yeah, pastor, but right now it feels forever. What do I do? How do I deal with this enormous, heavy grief and loss that I am going through right now? Great question. Come back next week and you'll know the answer. Amen. The Bible tells us that grief is a natural part of life. That God knows our grief and that grief is not forever. Next week, we're going to talk about how to deal with grief. How do we walk? How does faith and suffering coexist? How does grief and hope coexist? So we're going to do that next week. But also, the last Tuesday of this month and the first two in December, on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock, Melissa, who is a licensed and professional therapist, will be with us. And we're going to have a support group. And with her, we're going to go through the five stages of grief. Have you heard of them? We're going to go through them. We're going to talk about them. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to encourage one another. So that's what we got planned coming up. Amen. But before I finish, here's, here's an application. Here's what I would like you to do with today's message. If you've experienced loss, if you've experienced pain of any kind, for any reason, allow yourself to grieve. Allow yourself to grieve. Give yourself permission to cry. You know the tears that grief and pain and loss brings? God gave them to you and he gave them to you to express the love that you feel and how much it hurts what you've lost. Allow yourself, Ben, allow yourself to grieve. We've been told that real men don't cry. 
that is one of the most unhealthy things that we can accept. Because we know real men cry because Jesus cried. And if he cried, we can cry. So if you've experienced divorce, the loss of a loved one, the fact that your children are growing up and maybe they don't relate with you, they don't love you, they don't listen to you like they did at once. Maybe you've been given bad news about your health. Maybe your dreams, your plans, your career hasn't panned out like you thought. Allow yourself to grieve. It doesn't make you more spiritual to hold back your tears. It doesn't make you more stronger to deny or hide your pain. In fact, you might be hurting yourself more. Did you know that experts say that it takes 18 to 24 months before we start to heal when we experience loss? 18 to 24 months. Some of us, we, we, we experience a big loss and a weekend or a week later, we're back to normal. We don't allow ourselves to grieve. We don't allow ourselves to feel. It's a natural part of life. God knows it and it won't last forever. So what I want to do today is give you an opportunity to be honest with yourself and with God to allow yourself to grieve. We want to pray for you because there's a wonderful promise in Psalm 34, 18. And here's what we're told. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirit is crushed. When we're brokenhearted and we admit it, the Lord draws near, not away. When we're crushed and broken, he heals us. But he can't do it unless we're willing to admit it. So in a few minutes, we're going to have the prayer team come up. And we want to pray with you. And we want to pray for you. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. And we just want to tell you and show you that you're not alone. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.